Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to be taking a look at two games, the first being Three Ring Circus, which, if you, again, heard about our Gen Con anticipated games, this was one on Natasha's list. Despite it being an area control game, it was one she was interested in. Yeah, it's because it's cute. The artwork goes a long way. Uh, and then the second game we're going, Natasha's going to be reviewing is Junk Drawer. I didn't have a chance to play this, but she's going to share her thoughts on Junk Drawer. And then in our discussion topic, we're going to do kind of like a question time again. There's some posts I saw on Facebook, and we're going to kind of break it down, talk about it, see what our opinions are of the of the couple different questions that I found. And that's going to be our topic this week. Am I going to end up alienating even more people with my strong opinions? Probably. Probably. And I'm I'm here for it. Like I want to be the I want to be the one that people want to interact with on the show. <laughs> that Not people you. come to you and be like, "Can you believe what Natasha said?" And I'll be like, I "No, I can't." She said that she's I, so wrong. Like, listen, I just sat back and got my popcorn out and just let her do her thing is what I <laughs> Oh man. Um but before we get into any of this, I think I think there's a burning question that people want to know because they are interested. And that question is, Natasha, mm. have you learned how to hook the bowling ball yet? Yes. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. It's not slow good. Slow process. It's a slow process. It's not good. But last week at bowling, I my my buddy that I bowl with, he taught me how to spin the ball. So when I throw it, like hold the thumb first and then kind of twist it while I'm while you throw it and that's how you get that hook. Um I don't have the the first few times I threw it, I it, it twisted it and it went straight down the middle. Same same um shot that I normally do. So it was really good, but then as I get more of a hook, it's it's turning more, so now I have to like yep. figure out where I need to stand and throw it. Um because when I go to the cuz I'm kind of you know, it veers off to the left like a normal right-handed hook would. Um, so then I scoot over to the right so that it, it can be centered then. But then now I'm actually throwing it even more to the side. So I'm I'm going to practice this afternoon. We're going to go in and do some practicing. But I think I think the spin is going to work. I just got to get the throw good. The spin, the revolutions that you put on the ball to make the ball hook uh-huh. will, I give you an added advantage while bowling. I don't yeah. know if you've ever noticed like professional bowlers, they don't... Curve. Yeah, they don't throw. They only throw it straight at uh, single pin spares, or maybe splits. That sort of thing. Spare shots are usually straight. Otherwise, they hook the ball. Yeah, yeah. So I I did that, and I um I did I did get a strike out of it. I think only once. Every other time, I got eight or nine pins. So it was nice and solid. But then my my picking up those spares that that I didn't do very good. So I didn't score very well. That was two games that I tried doing the the spin but i'm gonna keep it i think it's a good throw i'm gonna just gotta work on lining it up right the consistency is gonna be the heart the hardest part is making sure you hit the same spot like every single time mm-hmm. like but that's that's the game of bowling i think in general is just you know making sure you're consistently doing the things and picking up your spares you should like i said practice picking up your spares yeah that i need to work on i've got i i was doing really good at that at first because I could throw a straight. I could throw a straight line, so I would just throw it nice and slow, nice straight line, and I could pick up like if I because I often would throw, and I'd have one or two pins left, and they'd be next to each other, so I could easy get them as long as I could throw the ball straight. And now I struggle with that, which is frustrating, but I'll get there. 
it's a it's a process. You gotta just trust the process. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't become a good bowler overnight. Has anyone showed you like the unique way where you hold the ball, like you don't actually put your thumb in. You just put your two the your ring finger and your middle finger in the ball, and then you hold it with both hands, and you use both hands to create that revolution. Has anyone shown you that? Mm-mm, I haven't seen that at all. I've seen a lot of the guys do that, but I have not tried it at all. I mean, that would be one of the easier ways to create the revolution you need in order to like hook the ball, but you you might it hook it a lot. It doesn't seem like you'd have a lot of control over the throw, though. You do, because the thing is, at the end of the day... Um, the where the ball goes is determined by your ring and middle finger. Like that's where you're pushing the ball out. Like yes, your thumb is going to have a little bit of impact, but typically by the time you're releasing the ball, your thumb is already exited. So as you're coming down and about to like go through your follow through, those two fingers are what's going to guide the where the ball goes. If that makes okay. sense, man. We're like, I need to stop talking about the science of bowling. <laughs> I did it for a long time, a long time. It was my thing. Until I found board games, and now this is my thing. <laughs> you can have Seeable. both, Bob. One day. I don't know. I I can't. I don't think I can. At least not yet. I gave up on bowling. Let it go. It's done. The problem is, it's so long, and as it's such you know, a commitment. Gr- it is, and it's like a long season. It's fall through spring, so mm. you're just there all the time. Which, when I was younger, was fine. No big deal. You know, every Tuesday, you know, I remember in high school, I bowled practically every day, you know, with doing my league play. And then I bowled, uh, I was the captain of our like high school team or whatever. So that it was just like, I spent almost every single day. I think Mondays was match play for high school. Tuesdays I had a league. Uh, no, I had Wednesdays off, you know, and then no Wednesday, Thursday, Friday were practice for high school Saturday morning I had a league and Saturday afternoon I had a league so I had Sundays off I bowled a lot I bowled a ridiculous amount it was too much and then I just eventually got burnt out on it and like yeah I'm done I'll rather just play board games (laughs) so speaking of board games let's talk about some board games Uh, this week I want to talk about three ring circus this is a hand management area control game designed by Remo Consortery and Fabio Lapiana are by Xavi Bordas Amiric, Fabio Lapiano, and David Turchki. Those names. Ugh, I'm so bad. Sorry, guys. I ruined everyone's name there. Anyway, this is published by Devere Games. So in Three Ring Circus, players take on the role of circus directors touring the United States in the 19th century. So how this game works is players will be taking turns performing one of two available actions till the game end is triggered. The first action players can do is engage an artist. This is where players have the ability to add cards to their circus board. So there are going to be three types of cards in the game and game scoring objectives, money cards, and ticket cards. Money cards have a somewhat dual use. They can be used for either the monetary value that's printed on them to add tickets to your circus board. Some will have instant effects when you play them, or they could also be added to your player board to help better your circus. Ticket cards represent performers that have that provide unique endgame scoring puzzles, as well as prerequisites for performing in certain cities. The next action players can take is to perform a show. Players will move their caravan based on the movement icons that they have on their circus board. Next, they will perform in one of three city types. The first is a small town, which will give players money cards. 
The next type is a medium city, which gives players either points or access to the display of ticket cards. And lastly, they can perform in a main city. This is going to have a prerequisite to perform there. Usually they're going to want a certain ticket type displayed on the circus board, and this is usually provides you with just a ton of points. After players have performed a show, they will need to move the Barnum Circus. And this is what triggers the area control of the game as well as the end of the game. The Barnum Circus will move around the board, and when it hits a main city, that particular area will be scored. Players will count up, count up how many tents they have and score based on having the majority. The game ends when the Barnum Circus has completed its loop around the entire board. At the end of the game, players score points based off their endgame scoring cards. Their ticket cards will provide both points at the end of the game, and some will even have some of those endgame scoring objectives. They add this to the points they've scored during the game, and whoever has the most points wins. I think what makes this game fun is the unique artwork and cool like player pieces. I also enjoy the area control aspect because it isn't like concrete when it's scored. It's based off players doing performances. So the more performances you do, the faster the game progresses and the faster you're going to be scoring those major areas. But the more time you take placing the cards, the less often you're moving the Barnum Circus. Yeah, I thought the area control was a, a really small part of the game. I thought the the heart and soul of the game really is the card play, like where you're placing the cards, like because of the positioning of the cards matters for scoring, they, they, they matter for the show that you're putting on. I think it really comes down to like what cards you're choosing to play and like what what things you're going after, what you're trying to score at the end of the game. And then that area control is just another way to score points throughout the game. Yeah, the card play in this is somewhat unique because you have the three different cards, right? You have those endgame scoring cards, which kind of just sit off to the side. And when you specifically fill up portions of your board, you're able to play one and you're able to score it. Uh, and you can acquire, I think you can end up with three endgame scoring cards. There are the money cards, which have a monetary value on them. Sometimes they will have an instant effect that you can play when you perform a show, or they're going to be actual like performers that you can add into your show. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, you have those ticket cards, which are like the big performers. You have the lion jumping through the hoop of fire. You have the strong man lifting, you know, barbells up. You have, you know, magicians. You have tumblers. You have a variety of people. And what's unique about the card play is you have three rows in which you're placing your cards. When you place a card, you have to pay for it, whatever the, the strength number is on it. So if you have a ticket card that's 13, you're going to have to spend 13, at least 13 value worth of money cards in order to play it. But the trick is, if you've already had a previous card played in that area, in that row, it's going to be basically subtracted that. So for example, if I had a 13 that I wanted to play, but I had already a 7 in the row, it would only cost me 6 to place the 13. Yeah, and money's tight, you know, because you have to use your money cards to play these, play these. You know, you don't want to waste turns like just getting money in cards, but you need to to kind of build it up. So it you but you got to time it right. You don't want to put them in the wrong order. So there's just a lot to think about there with the way you play the cards. And this in the way you play the cards, they're always going to basically fall into an ascending number value. So one already always going to be to the left, and your highest number is always going to be to your right. And when you play a card into a row, if it is, it sometimes will slide in between cards. So that's where that little like puzzle comes with, because a lot of the ticket cards will do different things. They're going to give you like in-game benefits, like they're going to give you more money when you perform a show. They're going to 
increase um, your reputation when you perform in a middle type city, you know, but the, the other thing they're going to do is say, okay, you're going to score two points for every orange card to the right of this card. And it could be like a 10 or 11. So you might only be able to get one extra orange card off to the side there. So it's these like little unique puzzles, but you're also thinking about, okay, I want to perform in this major city and it requires a orange nine card for the base scoring. Then I have the opportunity to score two other sides of it. So if I have a nine orange, but then on the other side of it, I have a green card and the other side of that, I have a blue card. Then I can score even more points performing in the major cities. Yeah, it felt it felt really different and unique. You know, you don't see a lot of circus themes. You certainly the way the cards play and the and the beautiful artwork, it really felt fresh and unique and different. And I liked that about it. I will say the theme is a little it's not great. The theme is just not super great. It's not there. This really could be just about any theme. And realistically, you could be just placing cubes on a board as opposed to the little like tent top you know, big tops that you have as your player pieces. That said, I think the artwork, the aesthetic, the mm-hmm. player pieces and all that, like, I think it provides like a cool, cool feel of the game as you're playing. The artwork and everything goes a long way. Does it strengthen the theme? Yeah, I think so, because I don't. I think you're right. The, the mechanics of the game, like, hardly relate to the theme. You know what I mean? It could yeah. be any kind of theme based on the mechanics of the game, but it's appealing because the artwork is so strong, you know, that you've got those little tents, you've got the beautiful artwork, like then it feels very thematic, even though the the mechanics, you're kind of traveling around. That's thematic building up your show. Like you're putting on little shows, I guess, to get money. And I I, I guess it's, it's there, but the artwork is really what makes it feel like it's there. Not the mechanics. Yeah, I really I do like the artwork. So I, I got to give a lot of credit to the artwork trying to strengthen the theme. But if you're coming in here like excited to play a circus game, like you're, I don't know if you're going to get that. I mean, you'll get that from enjoying the artwork. If you like to look at beautiful artwork and then you see all these beautiful performers and cartoony art, it's, it's cute. It's lovely to look at, but you're not you're not going to feel like you're a running a circus. No, you're not. You're not going to feel like you're running a circus at all. It's not. Yeah, I'm not. Barnum and Bailey, like I'm just, uh, just not, like I'm just not Hugh Jackman, you know, creating a circus. So it is. What, <laughs> You're not saying no, no. Uh, well, I mean, I'm gonna stop you right there. Just because, just because it's a board game doesn't mean I can't sing during the board game. I'm just saying it's you a thing. Can. I can. You can't. Can. I just don't know that this board game will expite inspire you to to sing N- some. Yeah, not really, not really. Let's talk about the card play because I think. You touched on the card play being a, a major thing, um, and it is. It is one of those things. I do like the way it approaches the area control aspect, but the card play is is the vast because you're trying to set yourself up to do shows. Because in a small town, it, they don't care. They're just happy that you're there. You're there performing shows. People are going to show up. They're gonna. It's like that parking lot circus type deal. Like you're going to go to the fair that's in the Lowe's parking lot, right? They're just you. They're going to pay you money you're gonna get money cards cool and then you can move up into a medium city and the medium city they want a certain type of thing and it's usually associated with the money card so they're gonna want a cowboy or they're gonna want a lion or they're gonna want some sort of thing and that's randomly 
placed at the start of the game. So if you have one of those in your circus, it gives you a bump. And that this is more of a track system where the more podiums that you have, the better the show is. So the higher up you can move on the track. And what's interesting about the medium city is that determines tiebreakers. So if you if we go to a, a area control and we both have three big tops in that particular area, but on the medium city, I'm on spot eight and you're on spot seven, I win that. And then you take second. So there is that tiebreaker aspect. So you want to try to like work up so you have enough podiums to put on like a, a better show and get higher up on the track. Getting higher up on the track gives you A, more points or more ticket cards. Mm-hmm. And then there's the major city which is very specific what they want they want in order to perform here you need to have an orange nine card if you do not then you cannot perform here and you can do a regular show with just that card but you really want to wait until you've score both the side the side um performers because they're going to say like i said orange nine on the left of that you want a green card on the right of it you want a blue card and if you can accomplish that you're going to score a lot more points and the first person to do it gets a gets a higher point amount, and then the second person gets less and a little bit less. So you're you're kind of managing your cards to perform these shows, you know, move up these tracks, be the first one to accomplish these things, while also setting yourself up to score those ticket cards as you're placing them within your circus board. Yeah, there's a lot to manage and a lot to keep tr- keep track of, and but you want to. You want to wait till you're built up and can can score it at the maximum amount of points, but you want to be the first one there as well. So it's, it's a nice little balancing act of like, when do I just um, go ahead and perform this and, and take the lesser points? So I, at least I've got it performed, you know, and, and yep. learning that's an interesting part of the game. It feels it feels different and unique and not something that I can compare it to. So it you know it's it's an interesting little puzzle and uh, and that looks beautiful lovely to play in a nice small box i mean it's really a pretty good game i gotta give it credit for the small box having a small box like that devere's does a really good job with these small box games i think the component quality is good um the game surprisingly enough is faster than what you first think it's going to be and it's player dependent the more shows you're putting on the faster the game progresses Mm-hmm. but this game moves along pretty quick and the the turn structure is fast like you play a card or you perform a show and a lot of times if you're performing a show you already kind of have an idea of where you're going to be sitting with certain things because you've been building up to it you see what's on the board so it's not like player turns are overly long and complicated the card play is surprisingly quite smooth for what it is for even that little bit of oh I have a seven, I'm going to play a 13. Oh, and now I have to pay six. But you're constantly looking at that, so you're prepared for the things you need to do. So mm-hmm. it's almost like it's snappy, and it's the card play is actually smoother than I thought it would be. It's snappy once you get over that learning curve. It's It's got a sure, learning curve sure. to it because it's different. It's, you're not really relating to it the way the, the way you can perform at different places is, is unique. And so there's a, there's a pretty steep learning curve there. Not not terribly difficult, but you're going to discuss it the first few rounds. But then once you get through that, it's nice and snappy. Yeah, I agree. What are you going to rate the game? I really don't have a lot of complaints about this game. I'm, I'm kind of debating like seven and a half to maybe an eight because I can't think of any good complaints about it. But it's not something I'm like super excited chomping at the bit to play more. But it could I could see this game growing on me the more I play it. 
Um, but it'll depend on how much I end up getting it played. So for right now, I'm I'm thinking and I'm coming in at a seven and a half. I I too am coming at a seven and a half. And part of my reasoning for that is I enjoyed the game. I thought the game was good. I think most of the replayability of the game is going to be the interacting with the other players as most area control games are. It's going to be who's the first to get to these spots, who's going to be bidding for these things. But there's also a lot of that, obviously, that card play. My biggest aspect with this game is it needs to be played at higher player counts. I don't think playing it at two is going to be nearly as enjoyable as playing it at three or four. And for me... That knocks it down a little bit, but it's an area control game, and I understand like that's a thing. Hmm. But again, I, I, those are the types of things I like factor into it because I obviously play a lot of games with my wife. So if a game performs equally as well at two as it does at four, I'm gonna probably rate it a little bit higher. It's right on that teeter point of possibly being an eight, but I'm coming in at a seven and a half. I liked it. I thought it was a. I thought it was an interesting game. It was fun. I, you know, a lot of it's 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 puzzly. There's some interactions with other players while trying to figure out where you're gonna put your stuff down. That's the reason why I like that area control aspect. So I think, yeah, I think it's a quality game. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's super thematic. Like I didn't feel like I was owner of a circus. You know, I just felt <laughs> like I was playing cards. So who is this game for? I mean, if you like the smooth kind of card play, you had a general idea of how the card play feels based on our description. If you like that sort of thing, if you're into major area control games, I it's not a major point of this game, but it's enough that you have to make sure you're thinking about it because you can score a decent amount of points from it. And if you're not thinking about it and you're not scoring points from it, I don't necessarily think you can be overly successful. You need to score at least some points in the different in the different. Uh, area control scoring spots so if you like that sort of thing i think this is this might be a solid game the artwork does a very good job i think it has a cool aesthetic it has boards that you can put over the map when you're playing in smaller player counts which i think is cool it gives you some options there uh so yeah if you like that sort of thing i think this is a pretty solid game from devere and that is three ring circus all right next up i want to talk about junk drawer so junk drawer is a Bingo-style polyomino game. So it's designed by David Smith. Art is by Asha Farmer and Sebastian Kozer, and it's published by 25th Century Games. So in this game, everyone has a junk drawer and a stack of polyomino pieces. Everyone has the same pieces in their in their pile. And then your junk drawer is divided into four different sections. And at the beginning of the game, you're going to you're going to determine how each section is going to score, you know, you're gonna randomly draw a scorecard and set them up. So like this sketch, like maybe the top left section is like four quadrants. Top left section is going to be scoring um, points for every every polyomino piece that's filled it up, whereas the other one is going to score minus points for every polyomino piece that's in there. And this one's going to score any pieces that are shaped in this particular pattern and this one's going to score maybe only pieces around the outer edge so they all score very differently in each game you play you randomly draw four of the scoring patterns so they could be wildly different there's easy and hard ones and then the way the game plays out is you just um you're going to each round you're going to draw four cards one at a time each time a card is flipped over you're going to take everyone's going to take that one piece polyomino piece from their pile and they're going to add it to any one section of their of their drawer and then the next card that comes out, you can add it to any of the three pieces, parts of the drawer that are not filled in yet. And so then the last, the fourth one, 
you know, everyone might be placing it in a different spot. You know, you have to place it in that whatever one you haven't placed a piece in yet. So each round, you're going to place one piece in each of the sections, but you don't know which pieces are coming. Everyone's placing the same ones. And then at the end, once somebody cannot place a piece, legally place a piece, then the game ends and you score up all your points for each of the each of the sections. Whoever has the most points wins. Um, so there's a lot of strategy around like intentionally filling up your pieces so that the game ends quickly. So it's a really quick game. It's like 10, 15 minutes because you can end the game in three rounds because each of these drawer sections are fairly small. So if you get a couple of big pieces, the way you put it in there, you're, you're done. So you want to try to score the most amount of pieces, most amount of points, you know, and maybe the shortest amount of time you want to maybe end it quickly so that people don't score, you know, so it's, it's light, very simple, very quick, but, but kind of fun. It scores differently each time, you know, you're randomly like getting the luck of the cards that come up uh, with what pieces you're putting in there. Um, I think, I think it's, I think it's going to go over really well for a lot of people. I think it'd be a really great game to teach people that don't play a lot of board games because it's really intuitive. You know, the scoring is kind of all over the place. So you could you could pick out scoring ones that are a lot more straightforward and easier, you know, and then ramp it up with the harder scoring ones. So I, I really like the game. Quick, short, love polyominoes. I like the different way they, they, different, they score differently. You know, you tend to kind of put the same pieces in the same spots, but then switch it up in like one area. So scoring's kind of can be tight because you you might end up doing the same things. This game, I don't know if I can play it. I think it would just provide me with just too much anxiety. <laughs> Do you have a, okay, real talk. Do you have a junk drawer in your kitchen? Yeah, of course. I th- <laughs> Everyone has a junk drawer. Uh, <laughs> that's the worst. You need a battery? Check the junk drawer. You need some yeah. tape? Check the junk drawer. Yeah, yeah, so much stuff, and all the all the pieces that are in, in all the polyamino pieces are a different item that you typically see in a junk drawer. You've got tape, watch, um, batteries, glue stick, keys, charging cords, sunglasses, inhalers, uh, spatula looks like. Yeah, a glue stick, pencils, buttons, a thread, needle and thread. Yeah. Key, car keys because obviously I don't know if I could play this game <laughs> like it's a game that like kind of seems cool and a game that I might want to play because I like polyomino games but man it would just stress me out like it, you know what they need to do is if you can't fit it you need to be able you need to take your board and like shake it so you can <laughs> rearrange all the polyomino pieces because that would no, be more they're locked in. You're, they're locked and you cannot move them around <laughs> I I don't know. That's not how my junk drawer works. I don't know about yours. You probably don't have your junk drawer divided into four sections either, where you're only allowed no. to put one item in each section. No, so you're right. The theme the theme is a little sus here. I, the theme I think is actually more spot on than three ring circuses. Like, well, but thing. the mechanics maybe don't match the theme because if it were really a junk drawer, we'd just stack everything on top of everything. And then just like try to, and if you try to shove the drawer and something hits, you just kind of like take your hands and you try to like push it down or whatever and just close it. (laughs) Forget about (laughs) it later. (laughs) It's like when you wrap it clean for guests coming over, you just take everything and throw it into a closet and you say, I'll deal with it later. Yeah. And then you forget about it. And then eventually you open that closet and everything comes out and you're just like, dang, I should have taken care of that. (laughs) (laughs) The way that each of the, the, 
the tiles can score the sections can score is different so sometimes you want like holes you know they score for each hole so like there's different ways of scoring so it's kind of fun and each game's gonna be different you're gonna flip over different cards and i I, I liked it i thought it was fun yeah i kind of want to try it like it's just the theme i'm always interested in unique themes i'm always interested in that Mm -hmm. it just because they overdo so many themes and that said, like, don't get me wrong. If you're going to bring me in a Euro game about pushing cubes in the, you know, trading in the Mediterranean, you know, some like I'm down, like show me how the game plays and I'm down to play it. But then you, you're like, hey, there's this game called Junk Drawer where you're just like throwing all your, you know, crap into a drawer. <laughs> I, I want to try it. Like, well, you're not. You're meticulously placing it in one of the four sections in a very specific spot. And then you're not allowed to move it. Very thematic. Honestly, for me, it'd be more thematic doing it that way because that's how I tend to organize things. So it'd do you be, keep your, your junk drawer nice and organized with different um, spots for different things? We, hmm, I try very hard not to have a junk drawer. So I tend to go through it and make sure we, the junk drawer has moved around a little bit in our house from different spots. And now it's in, like, we have this like, old buffet style like piece of you know furniture that was like my wife's grandfather's and the top drawer on it is our junk drawer but we have like things in it to organize it so we have like a little uh plastic little um container that has like pencils yeah i have one that has like tape and then i have one like i have all like the dog stuff like we have a we have an invisible fence so you know you need to have the batteries for the collars and everything like that so that's where we (laughs) We keep everything so it's it's not very organized, but it is because they're all in like little tiny yeah. little containers or whatever, but they're just kind of randomly spewed throughout the, the drawer. You have to maintain your junk drawer. You can't just organize it once in your life and say, okay, it's organized. It'll be organized for the rest of my life. Like it's it's a work in progress. And maybe this is what we're doing. Maybe instead of like we're not throwing things in a junk drawer, we are we are. Mat- we are planning out where we're going to store the things. Okay, the watches belong in this section of the junk drawer. <laughs> we're organizing it and getting what points. What is a watch doing nice in your junk drawer? Do something different. It's not supposed to be there. Dang. Jeez. Yeah, watch shouldn't be in a junk drawer. I agree with that. You heard it here for first. Organize your junk drawer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> junk drawers are for batteries and pencils and extra things that you need to use, not just to store garbage like old chargers no they don't belong in the junk drawer it's it's the things that when you need it you're just like i gotta go to the junk drawer man i really need a piece of string junk drawer man where are the where are the toothpicks at junk drawer man i need a i need a double a battery junk drawer i need a nine volt battery junk drawer i need a flat cr 2036 battery junk drawer (laughs) <laughs> hey dad hey dad have you seen my headphones check the junk drawer <laughs> <laughs> oh man so what are you rating this game i'm coming in at an eight i really like it it was a lot of fun i highly recommend this game that you pick it up for um families i think it'd be good for like multi-generational you could play it with grandma and your kids like together at once it's quick it's light it's easy to learn it's a nice polyamino game i think it could be sold at target but it's got some some fun little puzzles and challenges to it you can kind of up it with the difficulty you can play it you know 
really strategic. You can play it casually. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and I recommend it to just about anybody that likes polyamino games, really, or doesn't like polyamino games and want their polyamino games to be short and quick. Oh, there you go. Get drunk drawer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's relatable. It's not nerdy. Like you could get like your friends that aren't into nerds or your grandma who's not going to want to play a, a fantasy themed game. You could get her to play this. Everyone knows what a drunk drawer is. It's universal. It yeah, every home has one. <laughs> just varying levels of junk in it. <laughs> yeah, it's varying levels of um, neatness versus messiness. Oh man! If you, I'm sure there's people who have multiple junk drawers. But anyways, I recommend it. Check it out. That's junk drawer. All right, that's gonna wrap up the games we're talking about this week. We're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be doing another question time. All right, welcome back. In this discussion topic this week, we are going to be discussing some questions that I found on the internet. These are not uh, listener submitted. These are questions I found on Facebook. I thought it'd be interesting to get into some of these because I think this first one in particular, I'm really interested in to hear your opinion on it, Natasha, specifically because I know how you feel about like components and stuff. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm going to read the post and then we're going to kind of discuss it. So, It was a Board Game Geek post. She writes, I was at Spiel this weekend and bought the game The Fox Experiment. When coming home, I saw the main board was damaged. Little damage, but never played. I've sent an email to have a replacement of the board and have the following answer. Hello, thank you for reaching out. I have looked at the photo and see the small imperfections on the board. We do not replace components if the imperfection, such as this one, does not impact playability. So she sent a second email. The game was already damaged in the box. I understand that the game ability isn't affected, but the pleasure of the gaming, pleasure of gaming and the customer service is quite negative here. It should be normal to receive an undamaged game when buying a new one. Is it possible to replace the game uh, then completely? I'm not satisfied with a game that's damaged. It should be normal that a solution is found here. Thanks in advance. And then she received the response. Hello, the damage is not very noticeable and does not impact the playing of the game. Best regards. So she buys a brand new game. It's the she opens it up. The main board is damaged, and she had, she posted pictures of it. And there's there's definitely some damage. Um, she contacted Panasaurus, and they said, "No, we're not going to send you a replacement." Let's dissect this real quick. Would you have reached out to Panasaurus and said, "Hey, I would like a replacement board"? No course not i was gonna say you're not going to. i wouldn't have even asked that's too much effort for something i care too little about <laughs> so there's I, that I assumed, that's where you know I where i stand <laughs> i figured but so now let's think about it this way it is a game that you bought brand new and shrink and it had defects in the game would you be frustrated about that at least mm, yeah maybe for like a second i'd be like oh man that's ruined Oh, well, you wouldn't. That's all you would feel about is just, ah, I just, oh well. I just couldn't, I couldn't muster up that kind of energy to care. Um, that, I, that doesn't mean I don't understand why other people care. He, okay. So he, I guess, I guess it really is like, I guess the question is, well, how does the company want to proceed with this? Do they want to be known for a company that delivers really good quality products? 
I mean, and they're not, obviously they're not willing to fight that and, and replace those. It is important to some people, but is it, I mean, should it be like, are you guaranteed a good product every time you buy something that, that it's going to be perfect? I mean, not, not with everything, you know? No, but if you, if you, let's say you buy something and it's defective or if there's, you know, so let's say you buy a blender and you take it out of the package and it's chipped. You can easily bring that back to the store and say, hey, this thing is chipped. I want a new one. They'll replace it. Mm-hmm. Like it's usually no questions asked. They'll exchange it for another one. Yeah. People are pretty forgiving about things being broken, but they want a replacement. Yeah. I mean, okay. What if it wasn't chipped? What if it just had like a, a spot in the glass or something like it wasn't, it just looked bad, but not broken. I think that's where it comes down to that personal nature of things. Like how defective can something be before you're upset about it, right? So a prime example for me is ordering books off Amazon. Sometimes you get them and like if you get a hardcover, the corners are a little like creased in, if that makes sense. I don't mm-hmm. know how else to better describe it. Dented. So, so Yeah, dented. There you go. Thank you. So something like that, when I first started getting books from Amazon, I was like, man, this is like really guys, like you can't put some bubble wrap or something in that. But now at this point, like it's just a thing that I don't necessarily care about. Same thing with like Kickstarters. Like I recently got my Voidfall Kickstarter and the way it was packaged, they wrapped it in bubble wrap around just like the center of the box. They didn't do any of the corners. So one of the corners is slightly dented in. Honestly, at this point, like I'm not going to care about that. Like I wish it wasn't, but at the same time, like I'm not going to say, hey, Mind Clash, send me a new thing. But that said... If I ask Mind Clash, they might actually do it. Because part of the th- reason why I bring this up is there was a big, there was a big to do a few years ago when Asthma Days like we're done sending replacement parts. We're not going to send replacement parts. If you if there's a flaw in your game, you go to whoever you bought it from and you talk to them. So you would have to go to your like local store. You'd have to contact cool, cool stuff, or you'd have you know whoever you ordered it from or wherever you got it from. You'd have to talk to them. And not the main company. And that's that's how typically things are things work, right? A lot of like if you have issues with groceries or whatever, you go to the grocery store and you get a replacement one. Yeah, I think that's asking a lot of putting it on there. I think the board game industry might be unique in that regard. You know, maybe maybe not. Maybe you do contact them if it's a if it's a small mom and pop local store. They can't do that consistently and still maintain profitability. Well, they wouldn't. They would take the damaged product and go to the supplier and get a new one. My understanding is they can't. They wouldn't get reimbursed. Because I'm pretty sure that they take it back to the company and the company replaces it. That's that's how it typically works with any kind of other product that is defective, like clothing or whatever. They, or they can return it back to the manufacturer and get their money back. I, don't, I guess I don't know how it works. Someone's eating the cost regardless. I think that's the point, right? Someone's eating the cost like, okay, yes, you can ask for nicer products and the companies need to decide if they're going to, I think the company has decided where their stand is and that's what they're doing. And if you don't like it, you need to not buy from them. If you want perfect product and no damage, then you need to buy a company that will support that. Now, is it worth companies supporting that? I don't know. I mean, I think it's very wasteful print to get a new board when the one works just fine that's my opinion i don't think it's very green it's not good 
like it's expensive, like like not expensive, not necessarily money, but uh, what am I thinking? Like um, the carbon tax, right? To, 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 to make a new product, to reship it. It's wasteful is my opinion. We don't need things to be perfect. We just need them to work. So if you, if you started a game company right now, would you replace something like that? Or would you say no? Hmm. I'll give you an opportunity to think about that while I give you my response if that works. If I were to start a game company right now, I think one of the things that you have to think about is your brand, your custom level of customer service, and everything like that. Because board games, while yes, you do like they're somewhat unique in their in in their model. Like you can't necessarily just send something back. Like I don't think local game stores purchase specifically from the companies. They can, they do do it, but for the most part, they are going to be buying from like distribution warehouses. And I don't know if distribution warehouses will reimburse stuff like that. But as a as a person who's trying to build a brand, build everything like that. And as a person who's reached out to companies and has both been denied a replacement and given a replacement, that level of customer service, I think you need to factor into it. So like I've had pieces replaced instantly. I'm like, hey, there's this little thing. Are you guys able to replace it? They're like, no problem. Give me your address. Here it is. And I got it almost like two days later. It was so fast and quick that I've had companies say it doesn't affect gameplay. And that some of the stuff is something as simple as like a cut of a card. You know, if let's say you have a, like three or four cards that are cut shorter than the rest of the deck, you can see those. And while yes, technically it doesn't impact gameplay because it's still a card and it's still like you can start saying, all right, I can see one of those uncut cards is coming up. And once you recognize the uncut card, like you know what kind of card it is. Like you, you start, it does start affecting gameplay in some way, you know? So I think for me, if I was going to run a store and somebody like, if you buy a brand new thing, you should have it brand new. Like, I'm not going to buy a brand new iPhone. And if it has like a chip on it or some sort of like cosmetic defect, let's say a, a permanent smudge on the back or something along those lines. And I'm like, Hey, Apple, I have this thing. I just bought it. And they're just like, it doesn't affect how the phone works. A cracked screen doesn't affect how a phone works. I mean, it does. Like, don't get stuck. Yeah. I don't beat me up, internet. I get a cracked screen can. Mm-hmm. But if it's a little well, crack super on Super cosmetic, like a smudge. Yeah. yeah. Like, maybe there was a, a pr- the way that the, the case was printed, there was some kind of. Yeah. Or like, uh, like a, a scratch. Let's say a minor scratch, like a real small, tiny scratch on your mm-hmm. phone. I mean, yeah, you could argue that people buy that brand new. It should be brand new, but then it just seems so wasteful to me. Like d- we can just throw them all away and print new- brand new ones for the ten percent that's defective. It's just wasteful to me. The one of the things I would argue is most of the time when games are packaged, packaged, people are packaging them. So there's a quality control issue with that as well. Like that shouldn't have been shrink wrapped and sent out. They should have seen that imperfection on the board and said, all right, like toss this board. Because it's not like they're going to make a thousand games and they only print a thousand boards. You know, they, I guarantee yeah, you they. There's certainly pr- a lot of waste there. So the quality control aspect is lacking. So back to my original question that I had um, before I got into my little tirade. If you were, if you were doing a game, uh, opening up a game company, a board game company, would you replace it? 
I don't know that I could answer that. It would depend on the values of my company, what I was going for. Am I building a company that I want to be known as like high quality product? Then probably if I was building a board game company that where I was like saying I'm a green company that cares about making ethically sourced games, then no, I probably wouldn't. It would depend on the values of my company and the the image that I'm trying to portray. All right, fair enough. And 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 the practicality of it. Like, do I have extra game boards? Can I ship one out? You know, is this a reasonable request? So yeah, I guess I, I think it's perfectly reasonable for a company to say that, but then it comes at the risk of losing that person as a customer. I think it's perfectly reasonable for that person who complained to say, I'm no longer a customer of this board game company. And I think both of those are completely fine. And, you know, it'd be nice if, if there was some upfrontness about that. Like, you know, if, if, you know, if they, if that's their policy, they need to be upfront about it. That way, you know, going into it, you know, that this is not returnable, refundable or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. So I don't have a lot of strong opinions. That's the other thing. If they got it at Spiel, they probably got it from Panasaurus. So if they got it from Panasaurus, it's not like they have a local person they can go and be like, hey, you know, this thing was defective. Mm-hmm. They, they literally got it bought from, it the, from company. the company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm curious what listeners think. Send us an email. I'm curious your opinions about it. Um, let's move on to something less divisive, I guess. <sighs> All right. I'm going to, uh, there's a question that posted and I, I think I would like to answer it in two, two sections. One is, okay, so the question is, what's your most prized board game possession? And I want to do this in two, two parts. One is, let's say, non-board, like, let's say board game accessory. And one is specifically board game. Because I have two. And one is a board game. And one is a accessory. Okay. My most prized board gaming accessory would be my second board gaming table. So I've got two tables that I have set up in the um, basement. They're both like regular dining room size tables. They're both regular dining room tables. They're not board game yep. tables. I really like having two because then I can have one game s- set up and leave out. So when we play like legacy games, I just leave it out. I don't ever have to put it away. And I love that. Uh, I like having the second table so that we can continue playing other games while we're playing that legacy game. So that's definitely my favorite thing. I'm not really big into the board gaming tables because I don't like that recess. I think it's because I've got short arms. It, it's it's not comfortable for me to sit at those tables, but I really like having an additional board gaming table. You should get a recessed board gaming table because you always wear like really baggy like cardigans. So whenever you're reaching across for stuff, you're always knocking things over. So I think you should get a recessed game table. I'm just but saying. I don't I don't like sitting at recessed game tables. I don't like playing at the recessed ones. I'd rather have two separate tables. Yeah, that's fair. I can understand that. Maybe if I had a taller chair. That's what you need. Okay. Yeah, you need. Yeah, you need to get one of those, uh, like bar chairs to sit at them. That's what you need. While everyone else <laughs> is sitting on regular chairs, you can sit in a bar chair. And we can reach across <laughs> without dragging my arm, my uh, arms across, across everything, everything, throwing yeah. people's point scores off. So we have to like try to remember where we're at, that sort of thing. <laughs> um. So my my accessory is also my board game table. Uh, but part of it is like, it's cool having a board game table. Mine is recessed. I do have two things that sit on top. Um, so I can have a game set up underneath. So very similar to Natasha, like, but my game is set up underneath while everything's on top. And, but I think what makes it like a, like a prize possession is like the story behind on how I got it. 
because originally I had planned on building my building a board game table, and I had found uh, this guy on YouTube built one like relatively cheap with like a recessed uh, screen and stuff on it, and I was going to do something similar. And he his video has like eight million views; it's ridiculous. So I wanted to do something similar, and at the time it was winter, and I have a table saw, but at the time my house didn't have a garage; it had a carport. Uh, and I didn't have the ability to set up my table saw in order to cut the pieces that I needed. So I reached out to a, a friend of mine who's a builder. And I was like, hey, is there any way I could pay you to cut some pieces of plywood for me? I'll give you the dimensions and everything like that. Would you be willing to do that? He's like, yeah, well, what do you got going on? I was like, well, I'm, I'm trying to build a gaming table. He's like, oh, okay, well, like, like what do you like what do you mean and i i start kind of describing what i want and i shared that video i was like i want something similar to this but really what i'm thinking is like inside i want it like this big and blah 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 and all these different things so he's just like oh i could probably make that for you i was like dude you're busy like if you can like you'd be just doing me a huge solid if you could just cut these pieces that way i don't have to like try to figure out my table saw in the middle of winter in my carport he's like all right sounds good so a couple days later, he's like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to meet you at your work. Will you because uh, I have an SUV. He's like, will you put the back seats down so you can fit the pieces in there? And the way we were going back and forth, you know, like he was asking me way too many questions about what I wanted for <laughs> it not to feel like he's going to like try to build it. So I was like, dude, you didn't like build it or anything. He's like, no, 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 no. Why would I do that? And I was like, all right. <laughs> I go, why do I need to put my like. Why do I need to put my seats down? Like, I don't understand. Like, it doesn't, I don't, nothing I asked for is going to be that big. He's like, just do it. And I was like, ugh. So I didn't because I was like, there's no reason for me to do it. Finally, I sent him a text. I was like, how many pieces am I getting? Trying to think like, you know, he's like, oh, four, which is about what I wanted. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted a top, like two pieces for the top and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. Maybe he's just giving me some scrap. He shows up. Board game is built. The four pieces is the main table, like, right? He had the legs wrapped together. So that was piece two. Piece three and four were the two toppers. Wow. And I looked at it. He I was like, He made it completely for you by this time? Yeah. He made it 100% like me. He even drilled holes for cup holders and all that. And I was like, dude, I was like, come on, man. And he, he I was like, I did, you didn't have to do this. And he's just like, don't worry about it. I was like, well, how much do I owe you for you building it? He's like, you don't owe me anything. You just owe me for the wood. And I was like, I'm going to pay you to, for what the work you did. He's like, no, dude, don't worry about it. He's like, honestly, it, like, I built it in such a smaller period of time than you would. He's like, I was in the middle of finishing a bunch of stuff. So I had extra time. I had to wait for things to dry. So I just built it. And I'm like, dude, seriously? He's like, yeah. He's like, have at it. I had to still finish it and everything like that. Like he had just, you know, built it out of wood. I still had to do all the finishing, but it just like, I don't know, just some about his, his like generosity to do it. Like looking at that table, every time I sit at the table, I think about it, which I think makes that table slightly more special for me. Yeah, it is. So that is my accessory that I would say is prized. Do you have a game that is like a prized possession for you? No, not really. I can't. I mean, maybe the minis I've painted. So the first game I painted, well, I did the side minis. Those are small. Um, The first full game I painted was Ankh. So that one would be special to me. But yeah, I don't. don't, But even then, like the game itself is not particularly special to me. So I probably won't keep it forever. So you would sell it with 
obviously the painted pieces or anything like that. Would, if you would sell it, would you factor that into what your price you would do? Uh, I don't usually. I usually just sell it at the board game store, so I don't pick prices. So probably not. I would like advertise it. It's been painted. Buy it. You just yeah, like big uh big letters over the box. It's been painted. Exclamation! <laughs> exclamation! Underline! 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 Maybe maybe not like that, but sure. Got it. Yeah, I'm not real attached to any particular board game, though. I think we all know that. I I had a feeling it wasn't going to be anything, but for me, I have one. Um, and interestingly enough, it was also a gift. Growing up, I played a lot of Dark Tower with a friend of mine, and his version, uh, he still has. It wasn't working for a while, and eventually, he got somebody to fix it, and it works now. But at the time, it, it there it didn't work. And I had been searching for a copy online and I, I kept tabs on it for a while and it was just so expensive. And I was like, it's just not worth me spending all this money on, on this game. And one of our gaming friends, Jeremy, he had a copy of it and him and I were talking one day and I was like, dude, I would just, I go, does it work? And he's like, yeah. I was like, dude, that is awesome. Like that is like my grail game. Like I, at some point I will own a copy of it that works. When that is, I don't know. Like, I need to find a copy that's reasonable. So fast forward, my birthday's like three weeks later. He shows up with Dark Tower. And I was like, Aww. I was like, oh, dude, that's cool. And he's like, yeah. He goes, it's for you. I go, well, what do you mean? He's just like, well, I'm never going to play it. He goes, so you can just have it. Aww. I was like, come on, dude. You're not just giving me Dark Tower. And he's like, yeah. He's like, it's yours. And I was like, dude. that And so that's the thing. That's the type of game that... Again, I look at and I think two things. One, like the generosity of Jeremy giving me that game. And two, like all that time as like a teenager hanging out with my buddy playing it in his like room. Yeah. So that like that game holds a kind of like a special place in my heart. That's fair. So that's that. Those are my two things. Okay. Last question. Okay. Okay. What board game has the most satisfying components to handle a move? during gameplay oh it's gotta be i mean it's gotta be like upgrade like generic like upgraded bits like the upgraded coins i really like heavy metal coins yep i really like those the best i think yeah i think if i was gonna upgrade one thing it'd be like although i love the i love the upgraded bits inside to like the the resources those heavy resources so i would say anything that's got some weight to it like that some heft they feel Mm -hmm. good Mm-hmm. You know the game that first came to mind when I thought about this, and it's probably because I, we played it somewhat recently. Is Starship Captains when you take all your people and you slide them down the little thing into your waiting area? Yeah, like it's just so satisfying to be able to just push your guy and just move them into your little area. Like as simple as that is, it's just straight fun. <laughs> I enjoy that. Like it just. It's- it's a fun little toy factor, yeah. I'm trying to think of other games that are like that. I also think of like the bits in Everdell. Like the like so you talk about upgraded the components. Resin. Yeah, the resin bits and they're like squishy and like like the berries are squishy, they're not like hard. Honey Buzz has that same feel to mm-hmm. it. It's got really nice little bee components. Hexes are nice, tiles are nice, the resin little pollen is nice. Yeah, the, the uh yeah, the honey has that like like gummy texture to it. Mm-hmm. Anything that has that cool like tactile texture, I think is I think is interesting 
to manipulate in games. I always really liked playing um, checkers as a kid, like stacking up the pieces. I think that was fun. And like connect four, like when the pieces all fall, that was fun. I always liked that feeling. Poker chips. Poker chips are fun. To To do what? What To make that noise. I don't know what the noise is. Say it one more time. I didn't quite get it. I don't know how to make the noise. I don't do sound effects. (laughs) Does it sound like this? Yes. Yes. You put a bunch of poker chips in front of people. Everyone's all doing that the whole game. And that's it's fun. Yeah, I, I I do like the iron clays in games, like just having those like chunkier chunkier bits to like move around and do. Yeah, I like that better than like the cardboard coins or different things like that. Mm-hmm. I also like stuff that you can, uh, like Anachrony has those mech suits, and in order to power them, you have to you take a like a little thing and you slide it in in the back of them to show that they're powered up. I think when components interact with each other like that. When you can stack one on top of another one or like in uh, tiny epic mechs, you can take your meeple and put it into a, like a mech suit. You know, stuff like that is just fun and interesting. They they have those like you have the they have the meeples that you can attach like swords and stuff to the Ida meeples and stuff like that. I, I, I just find those cool and interesting. I played this really horrible game at Dice Tower East, but it had like the nicest, best components and it had that same feel to it so it was called sushi boat and you it comes with all these little plates of sushi and you stack them and so they stack really nicely and the, the plates are nice and they have got the little pictures of the food inside the plates that look really nice and you push them on this little conveyor belt and then they move you push them through so then they go through this conveyor belt and turn around so it's got this really nice tactile feel of pushing the pieces the plates around and then you're able to stack them but it was a terrible game i do not recommend it at all the plates were like primary colors which the colors mattered for set collection stuff but they looked so ugly but it was this beautiful like faux wood boat that you could slide the plates around it was such a horrible game but like had the best components but but also like really ugly like the plates were super nice but they were primary colors like why were they primary colors that was so ugly you know the, the whole like faux wood boat that you could slide them in was super nice but the cards were terrible paper and ugly and like something that looked like i could have designed it myself it was bad so well, bad. you know another game that comes to mind that i think we should mention in enjoying like manipulating the pieces potion explosion oh, especially yes. if you if you have like the newer versions where the the marble tray is plastic as opposed oh. to cardboard it in the very first edition they it was cardboard and then i think you could buy an expansion that gave you a plastic and then the newer versions were plastic i think something like that is pulling those marbles and watching them cascade and different things like that i think it's something about that's very satisfying it's bejeweled like in real life though mm-hmm. you know yeah as long as you're not dropping marbles all over the place I, I, true i forget that that's a thing that happens a lot with you, <laughs> with you and your family yeah it's just we're just chasing marbles around i don't play that in my kitchen i gotta play that in the basement where there's carpet on the floor so they don't roll all over the place Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i get that i don't think we can mention manipulating game components without saying how much i love recess player boards oh yeah something as simple as being able to place something in a recess and it just stays there and so many games are doing that nowadays. Like I think role player, you know, Sagrada, 
Yeah, just all these different games. Even getting like some of the upgraded stuff for like Terraforming Mars. One of their Kickstarters did recess player boards, which I just ah, uh, it adds just something extra to it. Like Maracaibo, you're placing those little discs on your board, and if you get the expansion, they make it recessed. Yeah, mm. Junk Drawer has had recessed boards for each yeah. of those sections, and it was nice. Like they don't need to be polyominoes; don't need to be recessed, but they do feel nice when they are. I I agree. A recessed player board. If you had to pick one thing that you would have, would you rather have like chunky bits or a recessed player board? Oh, recessed player board for sure. Hands down, no questions mm-hmm. asked. Yeah, I like chunky bits. I really like them when they're in a game, but I don't upgrade my games very much because I feel like it's I already have pieces that work just fine. It feels a little bit wasteful to me. They're functional, sure. Yeah, so I wouldn't. I would want it to come in the game. Recess player boards tend to come in the game, which is nice. Yeah, give me a good recess player board that doesn't like bow on you. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, they've been getting like the technology has been getting technology. I say technology of cardboard, <laughs> but the way they're doing it, instead of just having them dual layered, is there? I've noticed a lot of companies are taking them and folding them. And then you use little sticky bits to like clamp them down, and they're less likely to like bow over time. Mm. Yeah, they're figuring it out. Give me a good recess player board. I'm down. I enjoy it. My favorite component upgrade that I really like, I guess it's not an upgrade. What I what I really value is like um, really good quality cards because I love shuffling cards and I love when they're good quality. I love like linen finish cards that they bend really well. They're flexible. I just I really like those cards. That's my favorite thing to touch in board games is cards. I will let the viewers know that if you decide to play a card game with Natasha, she has zero qualms, zero, about shuffling the deck cards. But if you ask her to deal, oh, man, not good. <laughs> I'll don't shuffle ever ask for to... everybody, but I don't want to deal. Yeah, I don't. Unless we're playing Euchre, of course, then I'll deal. You have to deal in Euchre. Like, yeah, that's a requirement. It's because you only like three and then two. Like, it's not that... Do you ever do the one and four in Euchre? No. There's only one what? way to deal. Shuffle <laughs> cards. No, I'm not talking shuffle. Two. I'm talking about I'm, I'm talking d- about dealing. dealing. Yeah. There's only one way to deal cards. Three and two. There's only mm, one no. good way to shuffle. And I Oh, it bugs me. So I'm I love shuffling, right? In Euchre, you do not shuffle like you do in other games. It's a quick, like it's not a shuffle. It's not a ripple shuffle. It's a it's what's it called? The shuffle that Over, you just overhand shuffle. Overhand shuffle. You do yep. overhand shuffle. 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 Deal. You do not over shuffle and you occur. This yeah, true. This is very true. The very specific way to do it. So if for people who don't know what euchre is, it is a card game based on a deck of cards. You are using only a, a certain uh, amount of cards. You're using nine through ace. So nine, ten, jack, queen, king, ace. Of all the suits, you get rid of everything else. You keep the fives for scoring. That's how you keep scores, the pips on the fives. But other than that, it's just that. And the way you do is you shuffle it. And then when you're dealing, typically you're dealing five cards in two rounds is, I believe, how the rule goes. Yep. So typically the way you do is if I'm dealing, I'll go two to the person to the left, then three, then two, then three, then three, then two, then three, then two. So -hmm. everyone has five. But every now and then somebody gets cute. And does one and then four. 
which I tend to do on a time to time. I'll get a little cutesy with it, do the old one and four gig, and then everyone gets everyone gets crabby about Always it. The same, and it it has to alternate too. You can't do like one 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 one. You could do one no. four one four. That's okay. But yeah, you cannot do two 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 three 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 three. It's got to alternate. Yeah, you can't do it that way. You cannot yeah. overshuffle. Nope you you should not overshuffle. But <laughs> yeah, just don't just don't ask her to. Just don't. So maybe yeah. that's the thing. Maybe it's manipulating. It's just shuffling cards. That's and your favorite I thing. I like shuffling, shuffling cards. cards. Yeah. And I like dealing in Euchre too because it's just like two, two, you know, it's two, three, two, three. You, you're going twice yeah. around. That's it. We're like the crew, like you're like 14 cards. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it it can it can be a, yeah, it can be a tough task. I recently, my wife and I recently played a game of Spirit Island and those cards, while very high quality because they're very stiff, are such a pain in the butt to shuffle and it drives me insane. Mm-hmm. Insane. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I love a good shuff- good cards that can shuffle well. It's and that's why I am so offended by sleeves. They're, oh, they ruin everything. Yeah, well, we're not gonna go down that road this time. All right, so I think that's gonna wrap up the questions we're gonna talk about. I am curious to the audience though, like what do you guys think? Should that thing gotten replaced? Like, what's your favorite board game component? And what do you like manipulating? Send us an email. I want to hear. I want to know. Especially that first one. What would you do if you owned your own board game company? Would you replace the board? Would you give her a new game? Let me know. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us again next week. Please help us out by giving us a review and liking us on Instagram or Facebook. And send us any comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. 